This is the Daily Signal podcast for Tuesday, April 25th. I'm Samantha Sherris. The Hunter Biden laptop story continues. Fox News recently reported that Micah Morrell, former deputy director of the CIA, testified that then-Biden campaign senior advisor, now Secretary of State Antony Blinken, played a role in the inception of the public statement signed by current and past intelligence officials that claimed the Biden laptop was part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Republican Representative Dan Bishop of North Carolina's 8th Congressional District, who sits on the Homeland Security Committee as well as the Judiciary Committee, joined me at the Heritage Foundation's 50th anniversary celebration to weigh in on the news as well as what's next. Representative Bishop also discusses some more Biden-related news related to an IRS whistleblower and the president's son, the ongoing border crisis, and the Republicans' Limit, Save, Grow Act of 2023. We'll get to my conversation with Representative Bishop right after this. I'm Mark Guiney from the Heritage Foundation, and we are very pleased to bring you the next chapter in the Heritage Explains podcast. Over the years, this show has been so loved by so many people, and we want to keep bringing you the insights into policy and current events that you've come to expect here, while updating the show with a new sound, a new format, and some new voices. Most notably, we're excited to upgrade this show from a one-off format where we bring you different topics each week to a serialized format where we craft deep dives into hot-button issues in the form of seasons, series of shows that focus the intellectual weight of the Heritage Foundation on one topic. First up, a six-episode series on the biggest existential threat to our nation right now, the Chinese Communist Party. Check out the new Heritage Explains wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us today is Representative Dan Bishop of North Carolina's 8th Congressional District. Congressman Bishop is on the Homeland Security Committee as well as the Judiciary Committee. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. Hi, glad to be with you. So I know you've been very busy lately with a lot of committee hearings, but before we get to that, I wanted to discuss former CIA Deputy Director Michael Morell. Now, Fox News reports that the, that Morell testified that then-Biden campaign senior advisor, now Secretary of State Antony Blinken, played a role in the inception of the public statement signed by current and past intelligence officials that claimed the Hunter Biden laptop was part of a Russian disinformation campaign. What happens now? What can you tell us? Well, uh, that's correct. That's what he said. And uh, and also Mark Polymeropoulos, who's a transcribed interview I sat in on. He's a former deputy director of the CIA. Um, and it was a political op. It was, a re- it was requested by Anthony Blinken, who was working for the Biden campaign. And and they were too, you know, too pleased to do it. So you had, and uh, Michael Morrell went out and, and carried on the effort, and 51 intel uh, a- agents or former uh, intel policymakers uh, uh, were in on it. And, and of course, they, they hedged their language there, but they gave rise into the media coverage, which was it was Russian dis- disinformation. It took way past the election and year and a half or whatever for uh, media outlets ultimately to acknowledge what it was. What happens now? Well, you know, there's, there are a couple other details there that are of, of uh, considerable interest to the committee that we're still pursuing. I'll keep those sort of under my hat for the moment. But um, I think the question becomes, the reason there were 51 former Intel officials signing that letter is because they were, they were using the authority of their former offices. 
and the revolving door between agencies and outside, not just the CIA, not just the intel community, but, uh, well, I'm, I'm about to say the FBI, which, of course, is an, is an intel agency, um, but uh, the Global Engagement Center, we see people revolve through the revolving door moving from there to these uh, non-governmental organizations, these, these quasi-academic sort of organizations that are private, they're attached to some universities in some cases, and they kind of, you know, the, the federal government kind of offloads to them some of the censorship activities they then undertake with social media companies. So these people rotate between those two and then to the social media companies as well. They're loaded with CIA and other intel uh, folks. I think the American people need to be made aware of it. We might need some reforms. I think there are questions about why uh, retired intel agents need to retain uh, 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 classified clearances. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, and so uh, I think all those things. But I think at the end of the day, the American people need to know when all these uh, medias set out to say whether well, the election was pristine, nothing was mm -hmm. wrong with it. No, there were people who were interfering with the election by means of disinformation. They did do that. Mm -hmm. Well, in other Biden-related news, I want to talk about this IRS whistleblower. Uh, the New York Post is reporting uh, that this whistleblower has alleged a cover-up in the tax evasion investigation focused on Hunter Biden. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about this and what we know so far? Well, I can tell you this. One, one thing, uh, you know, a lot of people talked about the church committee in the mm -hmm. 70s. And if you read the history of what happened there, that committee started digging into certain things. Other things came out by virtue of the by, from other sources. I think this is a development that could ultimately prove to be very significant to the work done by the Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of uh, the Federal Government under Jim Jordan, part of the Judiciary Committee. The Judiciary Committee is one of the committees that has received the communication from the lawyer for the whistleblower. The whistleblower has not specified that it involves Hunter Biden. He mm -hmm. simply said it's a, concerning a sensitive matter. Mm -hmm. It implies, and, and so that's other reporting, perhaps some leak that's, uh, that's informed that. Mm -hmm. uh, also that, that a cabinet official has testified falsely before Congress. Some people are speculating in media. It appears that that would be Mar Merrick Garland, the mm -hmm. attorney general. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to hearing uh, the details. I will be, as a member of the Judiciary Committee, uh, participant in the interviews of mm -hmm. that whistleblower. And I, and at this point in time, I'm sure uh, committee staff are uh, having the preliminaries to that, working mm -hmm. through them. But this is, you know, this is what whistleblowers are supposed to do. Back in the Trump administration, remember impeachment number one, uh, involving revolve where they had a uh, a whistleblower. That was that was the left in a politicized way exploiting the whistleblower protections in order to, you know, rile up or, or spin up a uh, kind of a ridiculous uh, scheme that they pursued in order to try to bring uh, uh, impeachment over a phone call, which was fine. The president called it perfect. But in this case, you have someone who is emphasized through his lawyer. He's not a partisan. And uh, he wants this communication to go to both Democrats and Republicans. It has. We'll have the opportunity to go through the process. And if it's indeed true that um, political uh, protection is being provided to anyone, but mm -hmm. if it's the uh, president's son or the president himself, 
then the American people need to know it. That's what those processes are for. I'm anxious and ready to get to it. Yes, and we are anxious and ready to learn more about it, especially from the media perspective. I wanted to talk about a recent hearing with Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, he appeared before the Subcommittee on Border Security Facilitation and Operations. Now, he was unable to confirm that the southern border is secure. If we look into the future, what is the 50-year, 100-year impact of the border crisis that we're dealing with right now? What a great question. Uh, we are, as Americans are well now, uh, now well aware, uh, seeing uh, persistently over the course mm -hmm. of the Biden administration the highest illegal immigration in the history of the country. Mm -hmm. And it persists month after month after month. You might have a tick down a little bit, then it'll resume that, uh, those high numbers. And as you also said, we also had another hearing in the Homeland Security mm -hmm. Committee itself yesterday in which uh, it's becoming clearer all the time that Mayorkas... Uh, has lied to Congress uh, and and has habitually violated specific concepts in the immigration law. Um, but you know we've seen. I mean, then you got to think numbers and uh, and it's, it's hard to keep them in mind because they shift so often. But 645,000 children have come into the country, unaccompanied minors, been distributed across the New York Times late to the to the uh, to the game. But they've now illustrated how folks end up in in uh, factory labor uh, under false, uh, false assumed identification uh, and uh, all sorts of activity. They're not supervised appropriately for children. Uh, they're not uh, with sponsors they can count on. You've got, uh, looking more broadly, uh, you know, two plus million people have come in and been released into the country. Uh, another million and a half gotaways, which, uh, and then if you talk to Border Patrol, they say as a general proposition, 10 to 15% more than that known gotaway number have come in. So you're talking about the population of Utah. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, that is having an effect. It is with us uh, until someone acts to correct it. Now, if a president is elected and if Congress takes steps to seriously secure the border, not only will we see the continued flow reduce, you will also see folks turn around and head back to their own countries. Not everybody. And we will see impacts on social services, on schools, uh, fiscal costs to states. Uh, and, and here's the thing that worries me the most. If you look January 5 of this year in uh, Caluicon, a city in, uh, in Mexico, about, about a million people, the cartel... Uh, agents of the drug cartel, Sinaloa cartel, ended up in a war, an open shooting war with the Mexican army. They're firing 50 caliber weapons at, at, at helicopters and, and vice versa. Cars, burning cars, uh, cartel agents running around on what they call narco takes. They're basically improvised gun-mounted vehicles. I mean, th this is something that none of which there's, this is a war going on in Mexico. When you empower the cartel the way Biden policy has, everybody who comes across the cartel, the Border Patrol will tell you, pays a fee. Mm -hmm. And they really don't have the money to pay a fee, so they enter into indentured servitude in the United States. And that's why these kids are working in factories, so that they can pay their smugglers. That, over the course of time, that provides the recipe, the groundwork for the most for the biggest growth of a criminal syndicate in the history of the country. And that means you know, violence and danger, reckless uh, endangerment of Americans in every city and every state in the country. Um, it is the most, aside from um, defunding the police, which was the stupidest political move in the history of the country, this is the most destructive um, move in terms of trying to promote a 
society and a culture and a, and a, and a country that is uh, peaceful and prosperous to have uncontrolled immigration and bring people in to live in the shadows and be manipulated by this big criminal organization. It's going to be with us for years. I wanted to, just on that, um, ask you about this uptick um, in migrant co crossings that we saw last month, a 25% increase. What is contributing to this, and do you anticipate we might even surpass that uh, in, in the months coming up? Well, yes. I mean, we've, we've been on the precipice all for the last couple of years. Even while we've been setting records, we've always had this issue of what they call Title 42. So Title 8 of the United States Code is the immigration law. Title 42 is the public health law. And there's a provision there that, is, that enabled President Trump and President Biden tried to get rid of it. Courts have slowed him up. The United States Supreme Court is uh, as recently as getting ready to act on it, and I think everybody anticipates they'll probably allow it to. But Title 42, which has been the, the tool through which a lot of folks, even though we've let in all the ones I described, others have been uh, removed from the country, that's going away. And um, uh, yes, I think uh, we're seeing in anticipation of that, the, the, the caravans, the uh, uh, migrants are lined up uh, coming from the word, new word from the Darien Gap about large numbers coming in. So, yes, a problem as horrible as it has become is getting ready to become worse. And you still have an administration that is in denial about the damage that they're doing. And only now, only in the hearings that are occurring now is it finally breaking down and we're seeing how Alejandro Mayorkas has you know, couched a lie to the Congress. So we're breaking through that. I think the next step is to hold Alejandro Mayorkas accountable. I just want to shift topics uh, just quickly and discuss the debt ceiling debate that continues here, right, right here in Washington. Right. Uh, Speaker McCarthy recently released a $1.5 trillion package for the debt ceiling called Limit, Save, Grow Act of 2023. Right. What are your thoughts on this legislation? So, uh, and you've mentioned the one piece of it. You know, everybody knows that the debt ceiling limits the amount of debt the United States can incur, and the and the spending has been so reckless for so many years that we keep hitting the ceiling, and then you have the Congress has to lift it, or else uh, the people say horrible things will happen in the markets and the economy will go to the, go in the tank. So, everybody understands that's got to be dealt with. You mentioned a $1.5 trillion increase. That'll take the anticipated amount of debts needed to be issued in, in, in coming uh, periods to, to the first quarter of next year, first quarter of uh, uh, 2024. And, but the key was President Biden and Democrats, who spent $6 trillion on a single party, on a party line basis, they want us to just sort of give them an, a license to increase the debt without the debt limit uh, without any anything else being changed. And we said... From the beginning, uh, we're not going to do that. And we need it. so what it has emerged, uh, what the uh, speaker has now uh, revealed, and I believe that 218 Republicans will vote to pass on the floor next week, is a robust package that marries the idea of increasing the debt limit with fiscal reform, change new direction. So limit, uh, uh, save, and grow the, pre uh, the speaker. We're going to rescind or stop a lot of COVID spending that hadn't been done, about 50 or $60 billion of that. We're going to, uh, this is the package that we're sending forward. And of course, it has to be then negotiated with the Senate and, and with the president. But uh, we're gonna uh, rescind the, and, and uh, re, uh, nullify the forgiveness of, or the, the, you know, the, the giveaway of student loans. It's about $550 billion. We're going to have an agreement by Camerly to revert 
to in our discretionary spending to the fiscal two year 22 levels which will give some flexibility to our continued strengthening of our defense but also probably for the rest non-defense discretionary will take us back to before covid fiscal year 2019 as a practical matter there are we have some when we have i'll, I'll leave out because i don't want to take too long that those are limit the grow part or the, or the cap part is to cap growth and discretionary spending to 1% per year over the next decade. That'll save a trillion three over that period of time. And, and finally, grow. That's the biggest key. At the end of World War II, when the United States had unprecedented debt levels, Congress did two things. It, started, it went to work on a bipartisan basis to try to reduce spending uh, and, and get that back normalized. And then it also made great efforts to grow the economy very successfully. We can't solve our debt and fiscal problems unless we have an economy that is growing and strong. So the main pieces, we have the energy package that we've already passed has, has been put into this package. We have the RAINS Act, R-E-I-N-S, which is designed to get control of the regulatory state, bringing forth all these burdensome regulations that keeps business activity from flourishing in the United States. So if there's a new regulation that has impacted more than $100 million in the economy, the uh, regulation would have to be affirmatively approved by Congress. So instead of having all this burgeoning law created in the administrative state, we we'll revert to what the Constitution contemplates, which is that the Congress makes the laws. And that gives opportunity for people to avoid crazy uh, decisions like we've seen by all the in the regulatory area and to push back on that. That alone, if that were to pass, would be an immense impact on the United States uh, economy. So it is a very robust package. The fact that we've accomplished it, I think, is testament to what occurred in January. Uh, you guys have covered that, the 20, the, the contested speakers race, the agreement to the elements mm -hmm. uh, that have come now forth in the, in the debt ceiling package. It is a great manifestation of why that was so important. We would never have gotten where we are without that having happened first. And now I'm very proud of the Republican conference. I'm proud of the speaker. Mm -hmm. Speaker McCarthy's done a fantastic job within the parameters we set in January of putting this together. So we go from here, Republicans show we can put a package out, and then we see what the Senate and the President will do. Well, great. Congressman Bishop, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. Great to be with you guys. Thank you so much for what you do. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Daily Signal's interview edition. Make sure you subscribe to the Daily Signal wherever you get your podcasts and help us reach even more listeners by leaving a five-star review and rating. We read and appreciate all of your feedback. Thanks again for listening. Have a great night, and we'll be back with you all this afternoon for top news. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.